book ten chapters fifteen through seventeen of of the love of god by saint francis de sales translated by h l sidney lear this librivox recording is in the public domain book ten the command to love god above all things chapter fifteen the wise guidance of religious zeal in proportion to the loving warmth and vehemence of zeal so is the need that it be wisely guided else it will easily outstep the limits of discretion not of course that the love of god however fervent can ever be too strong in itself or in the impulse it gives to the mind but it is one to call in the use of the intellect and the passions to effect its object and these are liable to act too vehemently and so to hinder zeal and make it unruly we see an instance of this in job killing absalom in spite of david's stringent orders to save his life to samuel chapter eighteen in like manner zeal sometimes calls in the aid of anger bidding it destroy the sin yet spare the sinner but passionate zeal once roused is like an unruly horse who cannot be held by bit or bridle so again the householder of whom our lord tells had to check the impetuous zeal of his servants who would have rooted up the tares at the risk of rooting up the good grain also matthew chapter thirteen indignation is a strong vigorous servant capable of great things but so eager and inconsiderate that it is wont to do more harm than good our peasants say that the peacock is a bad inmate for although it will keep a place clear of spiders and the like it spoils more than it saves anger is a natural reinforcement to reason and grace uses it in support of zeal but it is a dangerous ally apt to get the upper hand and overthrow both reason and charity and we are never safe or sure that it may not suddenly spread like a flame and become destructive it is indeed a desperate act to let a besieged city fall into the hands of one who may prove a master instead of an ally self-love often deceives men and disguises itself under the garb of zeal zeal has perhaps made some use of anger and anger in its turn plays its own game under the name of zeal under the name only for like all other virtues the real thing itself cannot be used to any evil purpose a notorious sinner once cast himself at the feet of a holy priest humbly seeking absolution whereat a certain monk named demophilus gave way to the fiercest indignation at the sight of such a penitent drawing so near the altar and with blows and sharp words drove him thence abusing the priest who would have received him and removing the sacred vessels from the altar which he held as desecrated demophilus proceeded next to write boastfully of what he had done to st denis the areopagite who answered him in a tone worthy of his teacher st paul 
pointing out how indiscreet and unwise such zeal was and illustrating his rebuke by the following instance a candidate christian had been won back to paganism by one of his former friends whereupon a certain pious man carpus by name who appears to have been bishop of candia was so moved to wrath that he prayed to god to destroy both with the thunderbolts of his wrath but the lord opened his eyes in a vision and he beheld heaven open and jesus christ sitting on his throne surrounded with angels and beneath the yawning gulf on the edge of which stood the two men he had wished to overwhelm trembling with fear while certain men stood by striving to thrust them in so great was carpus's wrath that as he told st denis later on he scarce cast a glance upon the blessed saviour and his company of angels but gloated on the spectacle of those wretched men whose fall he longed to hasten till raising his eyes he beheld the all-pitying saviour rise up and extend his hand to those miserable beings while the angels strove to draw them back then our lord turned to carpus saying smite me rather for gladly would i suffer anew to save men bethink thee whether thou wouldst choose to fall into that hellish gulf or to abide with the angels some men think there can be no zeal without anger whereas true zeal rarely if ever employs it the surgeon never uses his knife save in extreme necessity and holy zeal never uses anger save in a like extreme moral need chapter sixteen concerning certain saints whose zealous indignation is in no wise irreconcilable with the above we read that moses phineas elijah mattathias and other eminent servants of god exercised a zealous wrath on sundry occasions but then we must needs bear in mind that these were great men who had full command over their anger and who knew how to control their passions like the centurion in the gospel saying to one go and he goeth and to another come and he cometh matthew chapter eight verse nine but we are of a very different sort and have not the same empire over ourselves our steed is not so trained that we can volt and revolt at pleasure a well-broken retriever will follow the game or hold back as his master bids but a young dog is disobedient and strays those great saints who have subdued their passions by dint of long practised virtues are able to wield their wrath at will but we with our unruly ill-trained impulses dare not let anger loose lest once at large we know not how to restrain it st denis tells demophilus above mentioned that he who would correct others must first give good heed that his wrath do not gain the mastery over his better self and that it is in vain to cite phineas or elijah as examples 
for our lord himself checked a like spirit even in his disciples we all remember the circumstances to which saint denis alludes how phineas slew the impure numbers chapter twenty five and elijah called down fire upon ahaziah's soldiers in token that the lord was king two kings chapter one as also our saviour's reply when james and john asked to be permitted to imitate elijah and destroy the samaritan village which denied their master entrance ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of luke chapter nine verse fifty five thereby teaching that his zeal was mild and gracious never exercising fierce wrath save when all other possible means were unavailing when that great master of theology st thomas aquinas lay in his last sickness at fosse neuve the cistercian monks around asked him to expound the canticles to them as st bernard had done to which the saint replied dear fathers give me the mind of st bernard and i will expound the sacred words as he did even so if we poor weak christians are called upon to put forth zealous wrath like those great saints we read of in the scriptures it behooves us to answer give us their spirit and their light and we will do as they did it is not every one that knows when or how to be angry those holy men were under god's immediate inspiration and therefore they could exercise their wrath fearlessly inasmuch as the same spirit which kindled restrained it within due limits such anger is not that wrath of man of which st james says that it worketh not the righteousness of god james chapter one verse twenty although st paul calls the galatians foolish and withstood peter to the face is that any reason why we should sit in judgment on nations censure and abuse our superiors we are not so many st paul's but bitter sharp hasty men not unfrequently give way to their own tempers and dislikes under the cloak of zeal and are consumed of their own fire falsely calling it from heaven on one side an ambitious man would fain have us believe that he only seeks the mitre out of zeal for souls on the other a harsh censor bids us accept his slanders and backbiting as the utterance of a zealous mind there are three forms which zeal may take first the vigorous action of justice in repressing evil and this appertains solely to those whose avowed office it is to censure and correct but unfortunately a good many persons who have no right to such office assume it secondly earnest zeal performs striking actions for the sake of example to remedy evil and the like courses open alike to all but which few care to pursue and thirdly a very admirable form of zeal lies in patience and endurance with a view to hindering evil 
but scarce anyone is found to exercise this. Ambitious zeal is more popular, and men do not let themselves see that it is a mere veil to intolerance, self-seeking, and anger. Our dear Lord's zeal was chiefly displayed in dying to conquer death and sin, whereas he was closely followed by his chosen vessel, St. Paul. As St. Gregory Nazianzen well says, he fights for all, prays for all, is jealous over all, burns for all. Nay more, for those who are his kinsmen in the flesh, he could even wish himself accursed. O superabounding courage and zeal, fit copy of Christ, who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Even as our Lord bore the sins of the world and died an accursed death for man, being all the while the beloved Son of God, in whom he was well pleased. So the apostle was willing to bear all things, yet without ever willing to lose the love of his master, from which, he says, he knows nothing could ever separate him. Romans chapter 8 verse 39 So too the bride of the canticles, affirming that love is strong as death, which separates body and soul goes on to say that wrath or jealousy is cruel as the grave, for it is like to hell which separates the soul from the sight of God, but it is nowhere said that love or zeal in any wise resemble sin, which alone separates us from God's grace. And indeed, how could ardent love desire such a separation, when love is very grace itself, or at least cannot exist without grace. We find not an unapt copy of St. Paul in St. Paulinus, who gave himself up to bondage in order to set another free. Blessed is he, says St. Ambrose, who knows how to control zeal. And St. Bernard says that the devil will speedily mock a man's zeal if it be not according to knowledge. Zeal must be kindled of charity, governed by knowledge, strengthened by faith. True zeal is the offspring and life of charity, and like charity is patient, kind, peaceful, free from hatred or bitterness, rejoicing in the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 6 The action of true zeal is like that of an ardent sportsman who is diligent, careful, active, and very steadfast in the chase, but without fretfulness or passion, for that would only hinder his pursuit. So true zeal is ardent but gentle, steadfast, painstaking, and indefatigable, while its false semblance is noisy, proud, fierce, quarrelsome, and unabiding. Chapter 17 Our Lord's Life, the Perfection of All Acts of Love To sum up all that has been said concerning divine love, the love of Christ constraineth us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 constraineth us by its infinite tenderness 
exhibited throughout the work of our redemption in which the love and kindness of god our saviour toward man appeared titus chapter three verse four what indeed was too much for that great lover of our souls to do number one he loved us with the love of complacency for his delights were with the children of men proverbs chapter eight verse thirty one even becoming man himself number two he loved us with the love of benevolence humbling himself to our human nature that that nature might be taken into god number three he formed so close and incomprehensible a union with man that never was aught so closely joined to humanity as the godhead in the person of the son number four he poured himself into man mingling his greatness with our littleness as a fountain of living water or the gracious dew of heaven number five his love was ecstatic not merely as st denis says because the very excess of his loving-kindness took him so to say out of himself but because as st paul tells us he annihilated himself forsaking his own glory to take our humanity and raise us to the position of joint heirs with himself and he of whom it is so often written i live vouchsafed to say that he lived in man galatians chapter two verse twenty his life hidden with man's in god he who is all self-containing is contained by us he who from all eternity was in the bosom of the father as man dwelt in the womb of an earthly mother he whose life was divine accepted a human life he who was eternally god became eternally man out of his exceeding love of man number six his love as instanced in the case of the good centurion and the canaanite woman was a love of dilection number seven his love for the young man who had kept all god's commandments and sought after perfection was a love of contemplation number eight his love when in the virgin's womb and during infancy was the love of quietude number nine the tenderness of his love was shown when he took little children up in his arms towards mary and martha over lazarus's grave and weeping over the city of jerusalem number ten his zeal was set forth as st denis says in a loving jealousy for man which led him to offer his very life to overcome his rival the devil number eleven he testifies how he bore the languishing desires of love saying i have a baptism to be baptized with and how i am straitened till it be accomplished luke chapter twelve verse fifty thus he longed for his baptism of blood urged by his exceeding desire for man's salvation and his sweat of blood proceeded from intense love as well as agony number twelve 
Finally, that great lover of our souls died amid the flames of ardent love, perfected in, by, for, and of love. For albeit his bodily pains were enough to cause death to any man, it could not have overpowered him who has the keys of hell and death. If he had not himself opened the door, his love not being content to become mortal for us, but willing actually to die. He died of his own deliberate choice, not of necessity. No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. John chapter 10, verse 18. Isaiah tells us that he was offered because he willed it and therefore holy scripture does not say that his spirit left his body as we are wont to speak but that he yielded up the ghost he gave up his spirit into his father's hands saint athanasius observes that he bowed his head in order to express his acceptance of death which else had not dared approach him crying out with a loud voice to testify that he had yet strength to live, had he not so fervent a love for men that he willed to die, since otherwise men could not live eternally. This it was which made our Saviour's death a true and perfect sacrifice, offered by himself to his Father for our redemption. Those sufferings, which must needs have caused the death of any ordinary man, could not have caused his death, had not the fire of his great love consumed him, so that he was at once the sacrifice and the sacrificer. Yet we may not say that there was any ecstasy in this loving death, for the object of that love had no charms by which he was wrapped. Rather, his pure soul welled forth like a precious myrrh which springs forth from its parent tree out of mere abundance and overflow. According to his words, No man taketh my life, but I lay it down of myself. What greater stimulant to love can any one of us need than the memory of what he has done for us? Verily, and indeed, the love of Christ constraineth us. End of Book 10, Chapter 17